0: Listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's programme is entitled Knocking. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the programme today. I hope you not only enjoy hearing about life from the perspective of God's Word, the Bible, but that you're learning how to be a better person as you are being exposed to God's truth. I don't know if the situation that exists here in Adelaide is Australia-wide, but in an attempt to prevent unwelcome callers at people's homes, the government has enacted a law that salespeople and anyone soliciting for funds and so on must not call after the hour of 6pm. Some homes have a small do-not-knock notice placed near or on their front doors. That law has been quite successful in curbing nuisance callers disturbing people at home after hours. Now, if they could only do something like that to prevent nuisance callers on the phone and nuisance callers who try to get our attention through email I, for one, would be very pleased. With so many scammers trying to take advantage of us, it's become much harder to trust anyone you don't know. Scammers are becoming increasingly sophisticated and particularly target older people. So if you're an older person, be especially aware. If anyone calls you on the phone and claims to be from a government agency or a service provider, they are most likely not genuine. Don't trust them. Hang up straight away. But they will persist. I further suggest that you do not identify yourself when picking up the phone, particularly if there's a short pause after your answer. They're probably calling from some call centre in India, the Philippines, Indonesia, or somewhere like that. Their only interest is to deplete your bank account. And, of course, beware of anyone wanting you to help them with a survey. They are after your personal information. In 2018, scammers gleaned $60 from unsuspecting Australians, and that amount is increasing all the time. To date, scammers have made nearly half a billion dollars from Aussies. Back to knocking. Why do people knock? Well, they might want your attention, they might want to come in, they might want to help or warn you. Knocking is, in one way, A polite gesture. Because thieves don't knock. They just enter premises uninvited. Today, I'd like to share with you some knocking incidents mentioned in the Bible. And I'd like to apply one of these incidents to your life. Incident number one. The year was 539 B.C., The place was Babylon, the beautiful city of the Babylonians where King Nebuchadnezzar built what was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The occasion was a royal banquet, given for all the nobles of the kingdom by the then king Belshazzar, whose name meant Baal, protect the king. Baal was an idol and it was supposed to control the weather and fertility and bring good seasons. While the king and his nobles, a whole thousand of them, were making merry and drinking wine from the sacred vessel stolen from the Jewish temple in Jerusalem at the fall of that city, suddenly something like a hand appeared and wrote something on the wall and I'll read to you what happened from the book of Daniel, chapter 5 and verses 5 and 6. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the king's royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. No one could understand what the writing was until Daniel was called. Daniel was a godly man and served the Lord with all his heart. God gave him the meaning and the interpretation of this mysterious, supernatural writing. The words were Mini Mini Tekel, Ufarson." Daniel explained to the king that he'd been a bad king, and now he had been weighed in God's balances and found wanting. His kingdom was to be taken away from him. As he heard this, the king's knees knocked together all the harder for fear. That very same night, the Medo-Persian army entered Babylon, Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian Empire ended. Have you ever heard the expression, the writing is on the wall? It means that the game is up. There will be a loss, a calamity. And we'll come back to this a bit later on. It's no wonder the king's knees knocked. He lost everything that very night. Now we come to incident number two. There was a different knocking mentioned in the book of Acts. It was in the time when the apostolic church was growing rapidly. King Herod wanted to stay in favour with the Jews, so in order to win their favour, he began to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. And I'll read to you from Acts 12 verses 1 through to 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers of four soldiers each. That night, while Peter was sleeping shackled to two soldiers and with sentries guarding the doorway, an angel from God woke Peter and led him out of the jail. This was a special miracle. None of the soldiers were aware of what happened and the chains simply fell off Peter. Out in the street the angel left and Peter made his way to the home of John Mark's mother, Mary, where a group of Christian believers had gathered together having a prayer meeting and praying for Peter. Peter gently knocked on the door. A girl Rhoda went to the door, asked who was there and recognised Peter's voice. Excitedly she dashed back to the prayer meeting and announced that Peter was at the door. In her excitement, she forgot to let him in, but then went back and let him come inside. In hushed tones, Peter told how God had miraculously released him from what seemed a totally secure situation in the prison. After that, he left to go to another location. There was no small commotion when the soldiers woke up in the morning to change their shift, and the doors were still locked. The chains binding Peter to the soldiers were still in place. But Peter had vanished. Belshazzar's knocking knees signalled captivity and death. Peter's knocking signalled life and deliverance. Have you ever heard of the prosperity gospel? It's sometimes referred to as the wealth gospel or the gospel of success. It was begun by three televangelists, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland and Frederick K.C. Price and took hold in the 1970s and 80s. I've seen some documentary material about how some of these kinds of ministers preach that sort of message and excite people to donate large sums of money to them and their churches. In my opinion although I recognise that God does bless those who are faithful to him, the way he donated money is used, sorry, the, the way the donated money is used is nothing less than shameful. Kenneth Copeland is probably the richest minister in the United States of America. His net worth is around $760 million. Kenneth Copeland Ministries is located on a 1,500-acre property near Fort Worth, Texas. The grounds include a church, as well as a private airstrip and hangars for a new jet plane plus other aircraft. The Copelands live in a 6.3 million lakefront mansion, all funded by his church. Recently, Copeland bought a new plane, a Gulfstream G550 jet, to add to eight other planes he owns. Modifications to the Gulfstream raised the price to over $30 million. Copeland also owns a fleet of luxury boats and luxury cars, including a Maserati, Range Rover, Oldie, Rolls-Royce and others. Copeland and his wife Gloria are multi-millionaires and they live in extravagance and opulence. The prosperity gospel has made them rich. And Copeland preaches that as people give to them and their church, the Lord will bless them and they too will become wealthy. The Copelands are not the only people who have made lots of money from religion. I have very strong reservations about Copeland's sincerity. From what I know of him, I would say he has a form of godliness that he is a showman a convincing salesman but not a genuine Christian why don't you go online and type in richest pastors in the world you'll probably be surprised at what you learn in my opinion the prosperity gospel movement is shameful How many suffering people could be helped by the millions of dollars poured into the pockets of selfish ministers who preach that God will give you riches if you're willing to donate large sums of money to them and their cause? The prosperity gospel to me is false. Jesus lived a simple life and Jesus should be our example. We're going to have a short break and go on straight afterwards. If
1: it were not true, I would have told you so. He has gone away. Yeah
0: Lived a simple life, and Jesus should be our example. What God requires of us is to be faithful to Him. He will bless us in that. We are not to regard God as some sugar daddy, who can be used to satisfy our own selfish desires. In the longest recorded sermon Jesus ever ever preached. He said something that relates to what I've just shared with you about wealthy ministers. In Matthew chapter seven, verses six and seven, is recorded what Jesus taught. And here's what he said: Ask, and it shall be given you; seek, and you shall find; knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks. It shall be opened unto you. Now, some of you might like to get a million dollars right now, right? Or perhaps you'd like that horrible disease that's been affecting your life to disappear. Maybe you'd like a new home or perhaps a bridge so that you can drive from Sydney across the Tasman Sea to New Zealand. Does that mean you should pray to God for those sorts of things? No. First, we must commit our lives to the Lord. Then we are likely to ask for things that are according to God's will, not for things that will satisfy our own lusts and selfish desires. In my own life, I was once involved in an industry where there was a possibility to make a fortune overnight. I even asked God for success that I might become rich. Did God answer my prayer? Yes, he did, but not in the way I expected. The venture failed. In retrospect, if I'd become stinking rich, as the expression puts it, most probably the indulgences of life and the lures of further riches would have pulled me away from the Lord. Most probably, I would have never become involved in radio ministry, sharing God's holy word and the gospel of salvation with you, dear listeners. It would be highly probable that these Give Me the Bible programs would never have existed. Praise the Lord that he knew better than I did and gave me riches of another kind riches found in God's word and a sincere relationship with my Lord. Yes, I can truly say that God has blessed both my wife and me with good health, a happy life, peace, usefulness in helping develop God's kingdom, a deep, re- a deep relationship with the Lord and the reassurance of eternal life. Those kinds of riches are of much greater value than owning a huge mansion, six aeroplanes and a whole fleet of luxury cars, all of which can only be enjoyed for a few decades at best. Like Abraham of old, I look forward to an eternity and a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Ask, seek, knock. God is quite willing to give you good things, things that will be a blessing to you and not a curse. The final thing to do with knocking is based on four verses from Revelation chapter 3. they verses 19 to 22. Jesus is speaking. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me In my throne, even as I also overcome, came and am set down with my Father in his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The part of what I'd like to focus on is about Christ knocking. This, of course, is metaphorical language, like what and where is the door? Well, Jesus is here referring to a person's heart, his mind. If you think about it, we all accept and, at times, reject information. We do the same with people. Some people we like and want to be in their company. Others we don't care for, so we usually keep our distance from them. As you learn about sin and salvation you're faced with having to make a decision. Do I accept Christ into my life? And do I choose to honour and serve him? It's your choice. Christ will not force himself on anyone. He waits to be invited. And if you accept his substitutionary sacrifice, then it is as if you become a friends. The analogy is that the Lord will come in and eat with you. Why does the Bible use the word eat? Eating together is one of the most companionable things people can do. Enjoying a plain meal together is far better than having a banquet on your own. But you know there's another aspect to this. The Lord wants your companionship. Ever since creation, when Adam and Eve separated themselves from God by committing sin, God has done everything possible to win back human beings to himself. Unlike Satan's methods, the Lord doesn't force anyone to love him. He gives love, and that love means he still loves you even when you may not love him. If God did use force, that would not be from a motive of love. It would be from a motive of power of, of power and oppression. So often we hear of people who get trapped by some bad habit, like smoking, drinking or using illicit drugs. Often the victim is severely damaged or dies as a result of the use of those things. I believe that Satan uses those things to destroy people. He doesn't care about you. He just wants that you won't be part of God's kingdom. Satan is a liar. He presents things and makes them look attractive, but it is all a show just to draw people in. God, on the other hand, is a gentleman and he waits to be invited into our lives. He stands at our heart's door and knocks. Belshazzar's knees knocked because of fear. His knocking was a sign of death and destruction and he had good reason to feel fearful because he died that very night. Peter's knocking was because of deliverance. The angel delivered him from prison and Peter went on after that preaching the good news of salvation to many who believed. God invites us to do our own knocking, to ask him for what we need and we will not be disappointed. Jesus stands at our heart's door knocking, waiting to be invited in. If he's been knocking at your heart's door, and if you feel you should say yes to Jesus, isn't it about time you let him come in? Well, it's my prayer and hope that you will, and that very soon.